There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, why isn't anyone blaming Bruce Arians when they would have blamed Dirk Cutter last year for the same mistakes they made on Sunday? Was the slow start for the Bucks' offense the result of a new system? And if this continues for the Bucks, do you see Ryan Griffin getting a shot at quarterback this year? And who is your Tampa Bay Rays' most valuable player? How did the Lightning get motivated to play at the same level as they did last year? We've got all those questions answered 100% correctly during our popular mailbag segment today on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, if you'd like to sponsor a portion of this podcast, we've got lots of new ways you can do that. For information, just contact us on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Love to have you guys be part of our team. All right, Steve, lots of good questions today, many of them about the Bucks, as you might imagine, but we also have some about the Rays and the Lightning. Let's get started. All right, Jim asked first, after the Niners game, should Bruce Arians whisper louder? <laughs> yeah, I think he should. Uh, that's sort of the, that's sort of the, the inside joke, right, in the uh, misnomer about his book, The Quarterback Whisper. Because, and and I, I asked Bruce about that. I said, you really don't whisper all that much that I see anyway. And he goes, well, I actually do. Um, he says, but then I'll, you know, when, I need to, when I need to get their attention, I'll scream at them too. We, we hear the screaming portion a lot. Um, but, you know, look. Things did not go well on Sunday, not the way they scripted it, certainly. There was a lot of throws that, that I'm sure Jameis wished he had back, a lot of things that uh, they could have done better on offense, and they probably should have won that game. I mean, San Francisco is a good team. Um, they're not a great team. They have a pretty good defense. They have a very you know, very middle-of-the-road offense, if that. I mean, you're looking at George Kittle as their main receiver and you know Jimmy Garoppolo with his first game back. Not much of a running game. The Bucks did a good job of, of stopping that. Uh, so it does come down to the quarterback and what he does with the football. And I know we got questions about this coming up, but it is a new system. Um, we'll, we'll address some of the mistakes that they made, uh, why they made them. But remember, it's uh, it, it's a lot of guys involved, not just the quarterback. And I'm not excusing him. You'll hear that later. Uh, but there are some some other players that have to be on point. And so does the protection. You know, there were some some protection breakdowns, even though Jameis was only sacked three times. I thought that uh, you know they gave up some pressures, especially on the goal line, that they didn't need to do. And then you had penalties on top of that on the offensive line. Demar Dotson with two holding penalties, you know that negated really not one but two shots uh, in the end zone for touchdowns with Cam Brait. So I think you know, yes, he it starts with the quarterback. He will have to coach him harder. Clyde Christensen will have to coach him harder. I'll be honest with you, I think a lot of those guys were probably a little bit surprised that things didn't go a little better. In fact, I know they were. And it was disappointing because they got a great uh, effort from their defense, which you know only gave up, what, 17 points, I think, the whole game, and really just one big play on top of that. So you got to win those games when you get that kind of an effort on defense, and they weren't able to do it. All right, Les asks, if Dirk Cutter were still the coach, everyone would have blamed Sunday's loss on coaching like they were quick to last season. I don't see anyone blaming Arians. 
weird, right? Well, give him some time. I mean, look, uh, you know, he's a new head coach. I think there's a certain grace period. And, and, again, going back to the fact that they have a new system, it's the first time we've seen a Bruce Arians team, you know, on the field for a regular season game. And we didn't see these guys much in the preseason. They only played really about a half a football total, if that. So um, there, there's always a honeymoon. Uh, it doesn't – some last longer than others. You know, Bruce Arians is a guy that is here to win now. He has said so. He has, you know, uh, come in and look. He's 66 years old, and and they're not they're not rebuilding. They're reloading. So there's an expectation when you when you make you know when you make that expectation, fans expect immediate results. But I think you know week one, people aren't ready to you know abandon the season just yet. So let's find out what happens. It's interesting. It's the old you know, coach comes in and says. I, you know, I got a five-year plan, then he gets five years. He comes in and says, I, I got a three-year plan, he gets three years. So Bruce came in and said, I'm gonna, we're going to win right now. Um, so this grace period may not be as long as some others, but Dirk Cutter, you know, had three shots at it. His first season he went nine and seven. Everybody was ready to throw a parade, and, and he missed the playoffs, and then followed that up with hard knocks and five and 11, and then back-to-back five and 11s, and you're gone. So – People remember uh, the end of, of Dirk Cutter's tenure. In the beginning, it was, you know, he didn't start out very well either. I think I think they were one in three or two and four, something like that, before they started and in, in won five in a row. So let's see how it plays out. But, uh, yeah, I, I think a new coach deserves a little bit of a grace period. All right, Buck North asked, one of the things that puzzled me about the Bucks' offense was their lack of creativity. How much of that is on Byron Leftwich still learning to call plays? And do you think they have enough speed at wide receiver to scare defenses? I don't see much separation by the wide receivers. You know, there wasn't a lot of separation, and I credit the you know the San Francisco 49ers. They did a good job between you know pressure and coverage, and that's really those two have to work sort of hand in hand. I thought at times the Bucks did okay. Now Garoppolo gets rid of the ball so quickly that they only had one sack and really only one quarterback hit. I mean, that ball – He's one of the quickest guys to get it out of his hands. I mean, under 2.5 seconds for the most part. And that's their offense, right? Um, they move the pocket. He runs a lot of waggles and bootlegs and things like this. So he's not going to stand there and hold the ball. Um, as far as the lack of creativity, learning to call plays, there is an art to that. I think that you know what Byron Leftwich found during that game was a running game. Um, I think uh, you know he got Ronald Jones – running hard and, and, and kind of getting the hot hand, especially in the second half. I mean, the guy averaged almost six yards of carry and was really uh, sort of, you know, toting the rock and, and carrying the team down the field. So, you know, maybe the lack of creativity was because they were winning the battle of the line of scrimmage there for a while. The best way to slow down a pass rush is to run the ball down their throat. And when, you, when you're having success, you know, going back to Bill Parcells or, or Bill Walsh or whoever you want to talk about, uh, those guys know that if you can't stop something, they're not gonna they're not gonna stop running it. You know why are they gonna bail you out of it? You just keep you keep pounding it. You find something that's a weakness that they have trouble. Um, you exploit it until they find a way to adjust. So I think that's what Byron did. I don't know that it was a lack of creativity. It was certainly a lack of execution. And you know for the most part, that team had bad field position. You know the game starts out and. Darway Goombawali gets, you know, he's a punt protector. He gets bull rushed and basically, you know, pushed into the punter and they get a more or less a block punt that goes nowhere. And right away, San Francisco is, you know, got the ball on the plus side of the field and 
the defense was lucky to hold them to a field goal there. So creativity, I think that comes after you can execute the basic stuff, and then we'll see how creative they want to get down the road. But they had some plays that would have worked, like the one we just talked about on the goal line on fourth and two. That was a good play call. Uh, it was very creative. In fact, it got San Francisco to blow the coverage, and the ball was just delivered too late, and you know it was nearly intercepted and certainly knocked down, and it, that play didn't work. But it was a pretty good play call. So the design of the plays we can scrutinize, but you know you, you've got to be able to execute them. That's that's the main thing. Well, Ellis asked a similar question. He says, "I understand it's a limited sample size, but do you think if the offense continues to struggle, that Bruce Arians will take over play calling duties?" It's always a great question, and I, I asked that question to Bruce before the season because, you know, when he was hired here, and, and we talked about this this quarterback whisper thing, the book that he wrote, and all the quarterbacks he's been around, of course, with, you know, Peyton Manning and Ben Roethlisberger and, you know, Andrew Luck and Carson Palmer and Tim Couch and those guys. The expectation, I'm sure, in fact, I know by the Glazers, was that he was going to call plays. I mean, this is – what he did in Indianapolis. This is what he did in Arizona when he turned the Cardinals around. Did it all the years he was there. And then, you know, but coming out of retirement, one of his sort of requirements was in order to coach again was that he wasn't going to call plays, that he wanted Byron Leftwich to be his offensive coordinator. And Byron has never done it in this offense before. He called, you know, eight games last year for the Cardinals, but it was Mike McCoy's offense after they fired fired him as offensive coordinator so you know when I talked to Arians I said that had to be you know that had to be you know kind of a kind of a sales job by you you know to convince the Glazers that you know to go forward knowing you weren't you weren't going to personally call the plays and he said oh it was a conversation (laughs) we we uh you know we we had to talk a while about that one um Bruce also said that he doesn't know what's going to happen. You know, he, he has so much confidence in Byron, and he is on the headset, and he can always say, hey, let's run in here, you know, uh, let's let's take a shot there, suggest things. And, and the plays are scripted, and, and, you know, both guys have the play sheet. I mean, if you understand sort of how things are installed, there there is an art to how to call plays. Um, you know, sometimes it's just a gut feeling. It's a chess mask, what you think you're going to get with certain looks, you know, when you come out in certain formations, what that other defense is going to do. Um, but, you know, everything is, you know, what, what's your best third and six play against quarters coverage? What's your best third and four play, you know, against uh, an eight-man front? You know, I mean, everything is sort of scripted. And, you know, for the most part, not always, but they, they go on those sheets you know, and the defense sort of dictates where the ball is going to go a lot of times, and and so they're all all that work is done before they even get to the to the field on Sunday. Does it change during the game? Yeah, you got to make subtle adjustments here or there, um, but there's no there's no real surprises. So unless Byron just goes off the rails and you know gets in a slump and they feel like you know he just doesn't have a knack for it, which I would find hard to believe. And remember now, this guy was a quarterback four Arians, you know, in Pittsburgh at a time when Ben Roethlisberger was calling his own plays. That's how much confidence that Arians had at one point in Ben. Um, so there's a lot of communication, you know, between the two of them. And I don't think anything is, is necessarily going to surprise Bruce about what Brian Byron does. And if it, if it does surprise him, then they'll have that conversation. But for now, at least, I think, you know, Byron will continue to do it. The hard thing is once you take it away from him, now what, you know? Now, now you have to do it. And, and there's also, you know, I don't think the Arians wants to do it. I think that, you know, part of his 
high blood pressure, stress level, health concerns, all of that was, you know, the pressure of having to look at your play sheet for three hours and then in between calling the plays, you're fighting with officials. Now he can just fight with officials. And he can, you know, go talk to the special teams coach and go talk to the defensive coordinator and, you know, point out certain things. And frankly, he said he's bored on the sidelines because he doesn't have as much to do as he did when he was a play caller. But I think he'll stick with Byron. I think he'll let him grow into the job. And, um, you know, Bruce is, is pretty loyal to developing those guys. So, no, I don't think he'll take it back, at least in the short term. We'll see what happens when we get later in the season. All right, Craig in Vegas asked, you mentioned on the podcast not using Jameis Winston on the run more. Why in the red zone does he not have more run pass options? Also in the red zone, why don't they run a fade or jump ball to Mike Evans or O.J. Howard? Well, that's actually one of their better plays in the red zone. And, and you know, unfortunately, I think they've done it so many times that the teams sort of play that. You know, they, they cover Mike up usually with a safety, so it's difficult to get those one-on-one matchups for a fade route that sort of thing. Um, as far as the RPOs, that was a big, a lot of talk about that a year ago with their cutter. And they worked on a lot of those in the red zone and, and the few that they tried really didn't have a lot of success, you know, run pass option. I mean, to actually call that, you've got to be willing to get your quarterback hit, you know, um, because if the run's not part of it, then they're not going to honor the run or the run fakes. So, you know, do, what, what's the risk-reward down there with your quarterback getting banged up trying to run the ball? Now, you can run bootlegs and waggles and things like that. Um, I think where Jameis is his most effective, and if you go back and look throughout his career, I don't know how what the percentage is. It's got to be extremely high of, of touchdown passes that have actually occurred when plays have broken down, when he's extended, you know, extended the play, um, gotten out of trouble, ducked out of trouble, uh, he's hard to bring down. We saw that last week, you know, with, with Nick Bosa just got completely shook before he threw a great pass. And, um, you know, he makes a lot of those scramble plays, and, and especially to Mike Evans, where guys find, you know, holes in the, in the end zone. Um, but but run pass option, I mean, yeah, that's that that's a little difficult down there because, um, again, you got to be committed to your quarterback being able to run and wanting to run or – you know, it's not, they're not going to honor it. All right, Les asked, yet another slow start for the Bucks' offense. This has plagued this team for a long time. How much of Sunday's offensive problems were the result of a new system? Also, is Jameis Winston given the authority to change plays at the line under Bruce Arians? Yeah, I think he is. Um, you know, most offenses sort of have a kill. You know, you have a, couple, you have a couple plays that you can go to if you don't get the look you're anticipating. Or if they shift into something that you know the play is not going to work, you just you'll hear that you'll hear sometimes on the broadcast you'll hear a quarterback go kill, 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 and that means that they've already got a play, you know that they have talked about in the huddle um, that if they go to the kill they know what they're going to run. So um, yeah, it, it, the short answer is I think he probably can change change plays to a degree. Um, he certainly can do that. Uh, as far as is it the result of a new system? Um, some plays were, and you know, the overall would be the overall answer would be yes, somewhat, because uh, there's 11 guys on the field, and you know, football is one of those sports where if one guy's not doing his job, the whole thing goes to crap, and there's no other way around that. You know, the, the quarterback, if you think about the quarterback position, a lot of people think, well, he's got the ball in his hands, so he, 
he sort of is the orchestrator. He can do whatever he wants. He's he's responsible for the success or failure of the team. But the quarterback position is the most dependent position on the field. In other words, he can't begin to do his job unless everybody does theirs, right? Um, he's got to get the snap. It has to be a good snap to him. He's got to have protection. You know, guys have to block to give him time to step up. Guys have to run the right routes, right? They have to, you know, read where the leverage is as they're, as they're going out for a pass. And, you know, if it's an option route, do you break inside? Do you break outside? In Bruce Arians' system, there's an awful lot of timing routes. And I think we saw that with, you know, the interception that Richard Sherman had when they split Peyton Barber out wide and he ran – you know, ran a hitch. Um, when they when he first looked at it, Bruce Arians said that it was just a bad matchup and, you know, Jameis should have gone somewhere else with the ball. Then looking at it again, and I found this out after the game, there's a couple things that went wrong on that play, for example. Uh, and this is a good lesson for this question. So the linebacker is blitzing, okay? Off the, they got Mike Evans, uh, I think he's in the slot on the right side. They've got uh, Barber split out to the right. They empty the backfield. So there's nobody back there really to block for Mike or for uh, Jameis. Well, Mike's supposed to read that linebacker coming. When that linebacker comes, who's standing more or less over top of him, uh, that tells Mike Evans that the blitz is on and whatever he was going to run, I mean, he might have been running like a, a deep post or something like skinny post or whatever, He's got to break that route off, and he has what's called a hot hot route or you know a hot read. He's the hot receiver. And what that means is that the guy you'd normally think was covering him has now decided to abandon that coverage, and they're, they're playing zone over top of him instead. So he's got some underneath room there. So instead of reading you know that linebacker and making himself available as a hot receiver, um, he continues to run straight down the field. So Jameis doesn't have him available to him. So he's trying to throw, you know, a, a comeback, if you will, or, a, you know, the route out on the outside with, with the running back, Peyton Barber, um, and he throws it on time. It's a, it's a timed play. It's a, it's a timing-type play. The ball's in the air before that running back is supposed to, you know, stop and come back towards the line of scrimmage. Um, and instead – According to Arians, Peyton Barber runs about three yards too deep. Well, that messes up the timing of the play. Now, Richard Sherman is, you know, not really that afraid of Peyton Barber running past him and getting deep, so he's going to squat on that route because he's got safety help over the top. So he's just sitting there, and when, you know, Barber runs too deep, the ball's thrown outside, Richard Sherman just sees the ball, makes a play on the ball, picks it off, and runs in the end zone. So... Now, whose fault is that? Well, initially, they thought it was Jameis Winston's fault because it's a bad matchup. You know, a running back on Richard Sherman, is you're probably not going to make a living doing that. But then when Arians went back, he kind of excused Winston for the throw and said he threw it perfectly, but that Peyton Barber was at fault because he ran a bad route. So, you know, that's an example where, you know, it's a new scheme perhaps, you know, running backs have not been involved in the passing game to this extent, you know. Under Dirk Cutter, they, they were used a lot, um, you know, as guys out in the flat. They did run some option routes and things like that. They blocked. They stayed in. Um, but they weren't made available on almost every play. And 
know, that's the change in the offensive scheme is that you know, I think half, more than half his passes were thrown, were targeted to running backs on Sunday and not, not wide receivers, and that's, that's different. But you know what? The San Francisco 49ers decided we're not going to give you, you know, those, those balls down the field. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. To your wideouts, we're going to double them. We're going to do some things in coverage, and and give up the underneath stuff. And so Jameis is a people pleaser. He's trying to execute the offense the right way, and he checked the ball down a lot. So, um, but yeah, everybody has to be on the same page. It's a work in progress. Look, they've had eight months to do this. Okay, let's not let's not act like this is totally new. But then there's you know there's install and OTAs and mini camps. There's, you know, training camp speed, there's preseason speed, and then there's the regular season, which happened on Sunday. <laughs> and when things are happening that fast, um, it helps to have some experience in the system. So you're going to get some breakdowns and some busts like that, but you, you certainly, you know, you're a professional, right? And, and that's what you get paid to do is to be, is to be precise and, and be in your playbook and know what the hell's going on. So... You know, it's on the players to, to understand that and the coaches to relay it to them. So there'll be growing pains, but it can't be a big learning curve because this season is not, you know, every game is 116th and you can't afford to lose games because of mistakes. All right, we had two people ask kind of the same question, Jordan and Steven. And it goes, if Jameis continues to play the same way he did against the 49ers and the past four seasons, do you think Bruce Arians would move on to Blaine Gabbard or Ryan Griffin if he feels they give the team a better chance to be successful this year? I mean, I think, you know, this is Jameis Winston's team, right? I mean, that's the first thing Bruce Arians said was, you know, we're not going to have him looking over his shoulder, okay? So what would anybody – why would anybody think that they're going to look at Blaine Gabbard or Ryan Griffin as an option? Now, you know, if you're going to tell me that he goes out there and starts chucking four or five interceptions a game and just, you know, is absolute an abomination and, a, you know – turnovers reach an all-time high in the league and he looks like a guy that's having a crisis of confidence and this sort of thing yeah maybe maybe for the good of the team you know to win a game you might you know coaches coaches want to win they're not paid to just to coach they're paid to win so maybe you would see them you know try something like that at some point I think it would take an injury uh, for sure. Wouldn't pulling um, Jameis Winston, though, be an organizational decision, not just a Bruce Arians one? Absolutely, Steve. Absolutely it would be. It's an ownership decision. I think that decision was made when they hired Bruce Arians. You know, I mean, the ownership decision was this is our guy. We are going all in. We are all in with Jameis Winston as an organization, starting with the owners. And that's why they hired Bruce Arians because, you know, who was all in on, on Jameis Winston? Bruce Arians. This is his quarterback. I want to coach this quarterback. I've known this quarterback since eighth grade. This is the guy. Jameis is one of the reasons, the biggest reason, three reasons he listed. And I think if you did him in order, he wasn't going to come someplace that didn't have a quarterback, right? He was not going to Miami, folks. 
He was coming to Tampa Bay because he believed in the quarterback. I knew the quarterback. He's been special his whole life. This is the guy I want to coach. Number two, um, you know, do I have the coaching staff that I can bring back with me? You know, how hard is this job going to be? And, well, here's, you know, 20 guys that he had coached with in the past that were all available he was able to hire. So that was number two because the job has to get done Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday. And then the third thing was I have a GM I, I know I can work with in, in Jason Light. But don't forget number one. I mean, number one was Jameis Winston. And, frankly, the ownership decision has been made, you know. Um, otherwise, they could have hired a coach and then asked him what he wanted to do with the quarterback situation. Now, that's a different approach. Sometimes you go all in on the coach and you say, look, you know, we haven't won in years. It's been 11 seasons since we've had a winning, winning uh, organization. Um, you know, what would, what do you want to do about our quarterback? And if that coach, if you really wanted that coach, say it was a Jim Harbaugh or something say, like that's, that. That's or, the route Arizona took with Cliff Kingsbury. That's correct. Kingsbury. That's right. So Kingsbury had Josh Rosen, but they wanted Cliff Kingsbury. And they asked him, do you want Josh Rosen? We got the number one pick. What do you want to do? No, I want Kyler Murray. You know, now maybe the ownership wanted Kyler Murray too and then found the coach that could coach him and married him up. I don't know. But at the end of the day, the coach chose his quarterback, and that happens a lot. In Tampa Bay, that hasn't happened in a very long time, a very long time. I go back to Greg Schiano. Greg Schiano came in here, and Josh Freeman had a couple of years left on his contract, and the Glazers were committed to Josh Freeman. He was their guy. They drafted him in the first round, saw some promise, wasn't quite winning. Raheem, you know, that was a disastrous season. They lost 10 in a row. Um, they tried to hire Chip Kelly. He left them at the altar. They're scrambling around. They find out that, uh, you know, Shiano's interviewing for the Rams, and, and one thing leads to another. you got to interview this guy. He did a really good job when, when, you know, the Rams ended up hiring Jeff Fisher. And then all of a sudden, here he comes. And the first thing, one of the first things that Shiano told the Glazers was, I want to start over at quarterback. And their answer, you can't do that. <laughs> if you want this job, um, we're keeping Josh Freeman. You have to make that work. And and in fact, if, you know, if if we were as a as an organization, if we were attempt to to you know jettison Josh Freeman, that's going to wind up costing you your job. And Shano said to him at the time, with all due respect, if if I keep Josh Freeman, that's what's going to cost me my job. Now, who was right? Shano was right. You know, and it did cost him his job. Remember the mess that they had the final year with, you know, they, they drafted Mike Glennon and, um, you know, Freeman starts out the season and all kinds of weird things are happening with him personally. And, you know, the captains vote and, you know, sleeping, you know, just all kinds of getting fined for being late and all kinds of things. And uh, after three games, he winds up benching him, puts him in the, the inactive suite. Freeman has a press conference, wants to be traded. Eventually they release him. Uh, it, w- it was a complete mess. And Sean ended up getting fired. Now, I don't know that he got fired because he got rid of Freeman. I think he got fired for trying to make it work for a couple of years. So, yeah, this organization, it, you're exactly right. This is an organizational decision. They have made their decision, and their decision is Jameis Winston. All right, Scott asks, Jameis Winston played poorly and some of the overreaction is unwarranted, but to blame Peyton Barber seems unjust. Do you agree? And to focus on the positives – uh, Rojo, Matt Gay, and some of the D was pleasing. What positives would you draw from week one? Well, I don't need to blame uh, 
Peyton Barber because Bruce Arians did that for everybody. Um, you know, like I said, initially he said that it was a bad decision, bad matchup, shouldn't have thrown the ball, then went back and looked and said Barber ran a bad route. So Barber has been blamed. Is it fair? I mean, he's paid to do a job. So I guess, you know, again, this offense has a lot of timing routes, balls in the air, balls thrown to the right spot on the field. Receivers got to be there. Um, so he, he shares the blame at minimum. Now, again, the quarterback – you know, makes those decisions, and uh, but he's only as good as the guys that are playing around him at times. So yeah, there there is some blame for Peyton Barber if you if you believe Bruce Arians in that whole scenario. I would say this: I don't think that uh, you know I I really don't think that he's the only guy, um, the only quarterback in the league whose receivers run the wrong routes. I mean. You know, it's ridiculous to think that, oh, um, you know, the Bucks leave Jameis out to dry all the time, and that's why he throws – he has so many turnovers. I mean, are you going to tell me, you know, Aaron Rodgers and, and – I mean, name the team, you know, Matt Ryan or Cam Newton, like those guys don't ever screw up? His receivers always are right? No, they're, they're not. They, they make mistakes too. But I do know this, that Jameis Winston has had more multiple interception games, I think 17 – since 2015 when he was drafted than any quarterback in the league. Now, that's any, okay? That's all quarterbacks. He's had more multiple interception games than any quarterback in the league since 2015. Now, all those other quarterbacks had guys that screwed up too, <laughs> okay? So, yeah, in this instance, Barber was was probably to blame. Uh, I don't think it's unjust to, you know, that, that Arians pointed it out. That's That's his style. Um, the positives, I mean, I think you mentioned some, you know, they ran the football. I, the brightest thing that happened on Sunday, well, there's two of them. One was the defense. I was very surprised that they played as well as they did, particularly in coverage. I thought, you know, they covered very well. They competed for the ball. They had the one, you know, I mean, MJ Stewart got beat, frankly, and that's going to happen from time to time when you're in man coverage all day. There's, you know, 65 plays in a game. Um, so it can happen. But for the most part, I thought they were close to footballs, you know, got their hands on some footballs, had the pick six, which was good to see. Didn't get a lot of pressure on the quarterback again, just the one sack. Garoppolo got the ball out of his hands. But when you hold a team to 17 points, when you're, you know, given bad field position pretty much the whole time, starting the game and hold them to a field goal, that's a win for the defense. So that was a positive. You know, Matt Gay made made his kicks, um, you know, uh, I mean, but really, beyond the running game, um, the offensive line pass protection was okay. You know, Alex Kappa got beat one time badly inside, which which cost them down in the red zone. The red zone was bad. I think they were one for four, something like that. Um, so that wasn't good. But you'll build on the positives. I mean, that's what you want to do, you know. And, look, this team couldn't run the ball – worth squat the last couple of years. I mean, going back to Doug Martin's, you know, ineffective last few years. So if they can get, you know, a guy like Rojo going, that can transform your offense. I mean, they can transform your team, you know. Um, we've seen it. We've seen it with running backs before. So I think you got to build on that and hope you can see consistency. Now, can he do it two weeks in a row? Can he do it with Carolina trying to take something like that away? Um, let, let's see what he does this week. But, yeah, there's there's definitely some positives to build on. All right, we'll switch gears to the Rays now, unless asked. With the Rays season winding down, who do you have as the team MVP? 
Also, who would you rank as the biggest disappointment? Well, I think there's a lot of guys that are probably get good consideration for MVP, and I don't know that you're wrong with any of them because this seems to be sort of an all-hands-on-deck sort of baseball team, right? I mean, you consider the injuries, you consider the guys that have had to step up, Ryan Yarbrough, those kind of guys, um, put in positions that maybe at the beginning of the season, Emilio Pagan, you didn't expect. For me, uh, because of the injuries, because of the lack of stability, there's one guy for me, and he only plays every five days, but he has shown up, he has pitched career amount of innings, um, leads them, of course, on their staff, and that's Charlie Morton. Look, when you go and you spend $15 million a year, which is something the Rays don't do on a starting pitcher, um, and he's well into his 30s like Charlie Morton is. You're not really sure what you're going to get. I mean, they, they certainly hope they would get the Charlie Morton that pitched for the Houston Astros, but you got a different team behind him, all of that stuff. This guy's been the consummate professional. He's been great for the young pitchers on the staff. Um, you listen to him talk, and, and uh, he's, he's a very thoughtful guy, but he understands – what he needs to do every time he goes out there and he gives his chance to win every five, he gives his team a chance to win every five days and he's won way more than he's lost. So his consistency at this age with the injuries around them, losing Blake Snell and Tyler Glass now and really being the only starter um, left from, you know, the, the, the three or four that they had hoped they would have. Um, I think Charlie Morton to me is their MVP. Yeah, I could throw in, and you mentioned Emilio Pagan, who has really stabilized mm-hmm. that bullpen. Because the other part of the question is your biggest disappointment. Right. And I would think you almost have to go Jose Alvarado in that case. Absolutely. started the season so well. I mean, the first month of the season, both Diego Castillo and Jose Alvarado were lights out that first month. And then since then, Alvarado, now he's hurt and, and out for the season. You know, he's the biggest disappointment. Pagan really stabilized that bullpen. Um, offensively, Austin Meadows has been their you know yes. best player all season long with 28 home runs and nearly 80 RBI at this point. Um, mm-hmm. He did have a swoon in the middle of the season. Tommy Pham, the yeah. fir- the, only the second race player to be a 2020 player. And then right. Travis Darno, who at times has well, carried this team. One. That's a good one. And, and the amazing thing is, so you know, I kind of think those five are your top candidates for yeah. MVP. Two of them weren't on the roster to opening day. I mean, that's something. Pagan yeah. was, didn't make the team. He was in Durham. And then Darno, of course, was with the Mets and then to the Dodgers before he got here. But, you know, Darno kind of – and not only – you know, they had so many injuries in the catching position, but he carried the team offensively for several weeks. A month. Yeah, a month. A month. Um, yeah. But he's really done a tremendous job behind the plate as well. Yeah. And, and helped those pitchers too, as you – you know, the Rays have used 33 pitchers this season. It's unbelievable, man. And, you know, 54, 55 players. It's records for both for the Rays. Um, yeah. You know, that's not easy on a catching staff when there's that many pitchers there. No, because you got to learn each one of them. And sign, like you said, to your point, Darno's coming in here. And I remember, you know, he, he surprised me. He didn't hit right away, but he surprised me how good he was defensively. But these were guys at the time, Alvarado, Diaz. Um, you had guys with, with some really wicked stuff. I mean, Charlie Morton, Blake Snell. Um, you know, he's catching these guys night after night and didn't know any of them. It's one thing to go up there and handle pitching staff. It's another when you got guys with the kind of stuff that the Rays were throwing up there. Uh, so, yeah, I credit him a lot. That's a, that's a, great, um, that's a great addition to that mm-hmm. list. And another disappointment, and, and for different reasons too, is Blake Snell. And, and a lot of his sure. has been injury-driven. But to follow, you know, to follow up his Cy Young campaign, he wasn't having the the best season. I mean, it wasn't he wasn't awful, but he was it, scuffling along. Yeah, he yeah. was scuffling, and, and and maybe some of it was more injury than we knew. I mean, from the broken toe, 
Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and now he's been out and he's gonna, hopefully coming back. But I, I think he's been a big disappointment, but not necessarily that he hasn't performed or something. A lot of it's just injury in that. But you were really hoping for a big season. You know, you didn't have to match the Cy Young season, but you, you were hoping for a bigger season out of him than what you've gotten. All right, Stewart asks us a lightning question. As the Lightning are set to open training camp on Thursday, and their first preseason game will be uh, next Tuesday, the 17th at Amelie Arena. But as successful as the Lightning were last year, how do they get motivated to play this season at the same level as last year? Well, it's, you know, it's a good question. Um, I would start by saying they're professional hockey players. Um, you know, this is their job. So motivation should never be a problem when you get to the National Hockey League. You're motivated to play uh, and to keep your job and, and to earn your money. This is, this is what they do. This is what they have done. This has been their career goal from the time they first put on some skates. So um, I, don't, I, I always kind of chuckle to myself a little bit when I hear, you know, uh, people talk about athletes, you know, just not being motivated. Uh, I, I, how'd they get here? You know what I'm saying? Now, are some guys wear that motivation on their sleeves more than others? Do some guys burn hot inside and look fairly calm? You know, it's like a duck, right? You ever see a duck on the water? Doesn't look like a whole lot's going on. But if you could see those those feet paddling underneath, um, there's a lot going underneath that you don't see. And I think that's the case with some pro athletes. But Look, they, they set a record for wins last year. They knew they had a great hockey team, and they lost four straight to Columbus in the playoffs. I don't know what more motivation you need than to realize that you didn't finish the deal. And, and the other thing to, to remember, too, is that you know while there's a big core of players from that team, and, and I would think the majority of it, every year is different, right? Every season begins. I mean, you're back. Even the team that won the Stanley Cup final – has to go all the way back down to the mountain and begin that climb again. And the Lightning didn't get as far as they wanted to. You know, the year before, they had a Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Final, and they just wanted to take one more step and get to the Stanley Cup. Well, they got knocked out in four straight games. And so now they know nothing's guaranteed to them, no matter what kind of regular season they have. Um, so, you know, the motivation is to first qualify for the playoffs, and then once you get there, you know, makes make some noise and, and, and advance and try to get back to where you were two years ago and beyond. But, you know, it, it's you can't, you know, you can't worry about playing in the Stanley Cup finals until you, you know, get out there in the first game against Florida, whoever they play in the opener, and, and try to win that one. Um, they'll have plenty of motivation. There's guys, their leadership, Steven Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov, I mean, uh, those guys want to win a cup. I mean, that's what that's what you play in the NHL for to get your name on that cup. A lot of careers aren't really complete unless you get it. So I don't think motivation is going to be a problem. I think there'll be a certain amount of expectation, and there'll be a certain amount of you know fans in particular saying, "I'm not going to give my heart to you until you show me in the playoffs you can do something, and that the regular season doesn't matter anymore because." It didn't matter last year, but, you know, I don't, I don't think when they hit the ice, you know, next Tuesday or what is it, Thursday, when do they play their first? Uh, Tuesday first, will be the first uh, exhibition game. The, the first the exhibition regular season game. starts three weeks from Thursday. Right, so three weeks from Thursday when they play their first regular season game, they'll be plenty motivated, but it's a, it's a marathon, right? Remember how many games these guys play, so um, – but they'll, they'll, be, they'll be motivated. I don't think you have to worry about that, and if you're not – you're not going to be around for very long. 
All right, that'll do it for today's mailbag. Thank you for all the great questions. Of course, a lot of them on the Bucks and Bruce Arians and Jameis Winston, the Rays and the Lightning, too. The Rays tonight will continue their series in Texas as they're on a uh, three-city road trip, although actually I guess it's two cities. you got Texas, then you're in the Angels and the Dodgers, of course, both in Los Angeles there. They'll continue. The Bucks have a walkthrough today before they have their game, and they'll head to Carolina before they have their game Thursday night against the Panthers for Game 2. We'll see how Jameis Winston, Bruce Arians, and the team can rebound against the Panthers, who are also and one so both teams looking for their first victory of course it's the divisional game as well and the lightning will open training camp on thursday with their first preseason game next tuesday for rick stroud i'm steve versick of the tampa bay times have a great day everybody mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market